You're listening to The World in My Eyes. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, Renegade Nation Atlanta, and welcome to another episode of The World in My Eyes, where I get the opportunity of sharing all the crazy voices in my head and what they say on a regular basis. And we have spent such a great deal of time getting so very intimate with each other. But in case you're new to the show, I am the naughty mistress with the mostest, the melodic goddess, and the deviant diva, naughty Nicole Delacroix. And before we jump into today's topic, I want to make sure I remind each and every one of you naughty little listeners out there that the Renegade Talk Radio Network is growing every single day. We've got a brand new website and it's so much easier to find all your favorites, so make sure that you've got it bookmarked. And make sure you're checking out all the new fascinating and provocative shows on the website. We've got more great talk radio on its way to you, so make sure you check back daily, because I promise you this, you do not want to miss what's coming up next. And if you need a break from all the great talk radio here on Renegade, well, then don't forget to check out Sky Pilot Radio, playing the best music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And as a special treat, today's episode is brought to you by The Seduction of Anita Sarkeesian by Andrew Bouchard. A babe named Anita Sarkeesian crusades to purify video games, but she discovers a maverick named Frelson. Now, will Frelson succeed in his quest to seduce Anita and to, tr- to transform her into a maverick herself? Well, you're going to have to read this erotic romance novella to find out. And if you're looking for it, you can find it on Amazon, iTunes, Audible, and other places. So go check out The Seduction of Anita Sarkeesian by Andrew Bouchard. All right, my little heathens, let's not wait any longer, and let's join today's episode already in progress. Alonzi, let's go. Now on today's episode of The World in My Eyes, well, we will no longer ignore the blasted pink and purple elephant that's in the room blaring on a trumpet. That's right, Renegade Nation, we're going to be talking today about the Women's March on Washington. This most recent election exposed a Grand Canyon-sized divide in the United States. We are most definitely divided by geography, class, education, culture, by where we get our takeout coffee, what cars we drive, so on and so forth. You guys get the idea. We're different. And I think marches like this pose the danger of reinforcing and perhaps even widening that divide. I know organizers keep using words like inclusive and solidarity, but I find those words pretty hard to square up with the fact that 4 in 10 women voted for Trump. You guys, that's 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. And the media often leaves the impression that Trump was elected by white men and heavily opposed by women, but it's simply not true. And there's actually a much larger divide among women than there are among any of the other identity groups. And I, for one, am very concerned about this divide, and I've kind of made it my personal mission to try and understand what's happening in this country. How someone could look at a man like Trump and think that he's completely disqualified for office. So I think it's in our best interest, given this divide, which, by the way, is infecting other countries all over Europe as well, that we actually work towards creating solutions rather than saber-rattling opposition. 
there really are genuine disagreements. But one of the problems that I think, and one of the reasons we can't really have sustained discussions about this, or the courageous conversations that we need, is that it so easily sparks accusations of racism and bigotry. When I first heard about the plans to march on Washington, I understood the need for public displays of resistance and why it's so very important to make sure each and every voice is being heard. The problem that has plagued this movement from the very beginning is that there was some serious lack of inclusiveness and a lack of organization, and it felt more like a badly promoted concert than a movement that should be taken seriously. Then, when the original Maryland organizer stepped down from her role, criticizing the very same lack of inclusiveness and a serious disregard for safety and sanitation, her fears echoed my own. And as time went on, I began to see that there were more cracks in the so-called veneer. When the Huffington Post posted an article delineating the same concerns expressed by numerous groups and individuals, that's when I started to see this march as more of a PR stunt rather than anything of any real substance. The article addressed these concerns and completely glossed over the continuing issue of inclusivity while focusing on highlighting the three fierce activists at the helm of the march. The article claimed that only two state organizers had stepped down due to these concerns, but that's not necessarily the case, because guess what? A lot of them did. There were so many states that weren't listed in the article that had actually stepped down, and most of them were from women of color. Other states just chose to either distance themselves or keep the shortcomings of the national organization in mind, completely separate to focus on their own state. The Huffington Post article highlights three of the four National March co-chairs as women who are leaders in the Justice League NYC organization. And back in April of 2015, an article in The Gothamist, The Fight for the Soul of the Black Lives Matter movement, describes Justice League NYC as an organization, and I quote, that has prioritized closed-door meetings with police officials and politicians over action in the streets and grassroots organizing. Additionally, the Justice League is described as a new sort of political animal. It has all of Al Sharpton's trademarks, compromise politics, access to power and media, rebel aesthetics, calculated outrage campaigns, but doesn't actually feature the MSNBC talk show host himself. The Huffington Post article also quotes one of the March leaders as saying that those who stepped down because of issues of inclusion were misguided. The implication here is that those who made the decision to not participate did so in a vacuum. And, on the contrary, those who decided to no longer be involved in the march did so after very careful consideration of many factors. They simply could not, in good conscience, dedicate their time and effort to a cause that is fundamentally flawed in its execution. See, many women underwent a flood of emotions immediately after the election. Those that didn't see President Trump as presidential and wanted a way to express their frustration took to the grassroots and social media avenues to come up with a solution. Then an event appeared on the horizon and was spreading quickly on Facebook about a woman's march in Washington. 
for those women that were looking for a way to channel their frustrations and their fears into a more positive outcome, this was seen as kismet, just what they were all looking for. But very quickly, they would realize that things were not what they seemed to be on the surface. The original name of the march, the Million Woman March, was, well, problematic. See, it appropriated the important 1997 Black Women's March, and if at the time you were to Google Million Woman March, stories of the then-upcoming Women's March in Washington were showing before stories of the 1997 March. Fortunately, the national organizers realized that mistake and changed the name to Women's March on Washington. And yet again... This appropriated the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, where Martin Luther King gave his infamous I Have a Dream speech. And if you were to Google March on Washington, guess what? The Women's March, yet again, shows up above an important moment in black history. Shame, shame, shame. Then the big day arrives, and all feminism is abuzz with excitement. No, that's not their vibrators. But the rhetoric here was frightening, calling for all women to blindly follow the leader in the name of a cause, to unify and stand together, divisiveness is dangerous, and yet the speech, which was meant to be anti-Trump and anti-violence, was really anything but that. Really? How can you claim to be about love and understanding and in your very next breath talk about blowing up the White House? What the fuck is wrong with you people? And the most terrifying part was all the people who said these things didn't even comprehend that they were just perpetrating the very thing that they claimed to be fighting against. That's right. This entire event has shed light on everything that is wrong with feminism. Feminists charge forward, trampling over other women along the way, mostly women of color, appropriating history when it's convenient, and taking their tokens out of the box for statements only when they further the feminist agenda. They actively silence their opposition, calling it negative and divisive and hurtful to the cause. They hide behind lazy activism, safety pins, and secret Facebook groups. But as soon as something comes along that directly affects white women, for example, a presidential candidate bragging about grabbing pussies and overturning Roe v. Wade, they jump in wholeheartedly. They yell and they scream. They call on all women and all of a sudden they care. Yet they don't take the time to understand their own roles in systematic oppression and how their own actions and words contribute to it. Demonstrations serve a useful function in a democracy, but only when they have the clarity of purpose. And that is not the case with the Women's March on Washington. Instead, the march is a feel-good exercise in search of a cause. Everything else about the Women's March is reaching a level of absurdity, worthy of the man and the very idea that they are protesting. Start with the fact that they are billing this event as the voice of women, when 42% of women, and by the way, 62% of non-college-educated white women, actually voted for Donald Trump. But when an event is grounded in a genuine existential threat, it ought to help people overcome their particular interests and find a unifying vocabulary without this level of squabbling and infighting. But here's the curious thing. 
on women's issues, there is a huge gulf between Trump's character and his actual policy positions. For most of his adult life, Donald Trump has claimed to be pro-choice on abortion. Now he insists he's pro-life and is actually threatening to appoint pro-life justices to the Supreme Court. However, in other respects, Trump has made a concerted attempt to extend an olive branch to the feminist lobby. He's embraced gender wa- I'm sorry, gender wage parity, government mandated maternity leave, and a child tax deduction in defiance of his own party. One can debate the wisdom of these ideas, but not that they are intended to help women. And then there are his three female cabinet appointments and a fourth woman as a UN envoy. Feminists are simply confusing the issue by making Trump's commentary personal. If they really wanted to help, well, they would have kept their powder dry for now and rather embark on this con- rather than to embark on this confused and pointless march. All right, my dear sweet listeners, we need to drop in on our sponsors and maybe check out a little bit of music. You're listening to The World in My Eyes. I'm Naughty Nicole, and this is Renegade Talk Radio Atlanta. So go grab a tolerant liberal by the pussy and meet me back here after the break. Fellas, didn't get what you were hoping for from Santa Claus this year? Looking to add a little spice to things in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about an adventurous new adult toy or movie? Well, then we have an offer that you won't be able to resist. Go to toysforpleasure.vegas and for a limited time, you'll get 20% off store-wide and we'll even throw in free shipping for any order above $100. And no... We're not teasing. So check out toysforpleasure.vegas today and use special offer code BABE69 upon checkout and make sure all your adult fantasies come true with toysforpleasure.vegas today. Remember, use offer code BABE69, that's B-A-B-E-6-9, to receive a 20% discount on your entire order. And gift the gift that Santa forgot to give this year. And welcome back, Renegade Nation. If you're just tuning in, well, this is the world in my eyes. And I am still Naughty Nicole. And today, we're talking about the Women's March on Washington. And I have to ask the question, was I the only one waiting for a group of women dressed up in aprons wielding rolling pins? Because seriously, I was looking for that. Never never happened, but I was looking for it. All right. Now, the turnout was pretty impressive. I'll give them that. But what did the Women's March actually mean? Despite what all the pundits are saying, the Women's March was not a movement. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't even the beginning of a movement. It was... A moment. Really, it was just a show of hands of people saying, I'm against Trump. And that's pretty much all these men and women told the world. The question was, is who or what do they want to replace him with? Insert crickets. Women's marchers didn't issue any demands, much less suggest a desire to achieve political power. 
Without a clear path from march to power, the protest is a little bit more than an ineffective feel-good spectacle adorned with pink pussy hats. Like other protests of the last few decades, the Women's March was a spasm, a spontaneous expression of disgust and outrage doomed to lead, well, nowhere. If you don't demand anything, then how are you ever going to get it? If you don't pose a threat to the establishment, why should they feel scared of you? Even so, a show of hands does matter. I mean, you know. Events like the Women's March are significant because American politics is centered around the belief that leftist political movements taken for granted in other nations, you know, communism, socialism, and left anarchism, have no real presence at the ballot box or in the news media in the U.S. because, well, American voters just aren't interested in it. Moments like the Women's March on Washington, well, they prove that that's a bunch of shit. (laughs) It's just a lie. The New Left was the last organized left-wing mass movement in American history. Since the organized left collapsed in the early 1970s, we've seen other moments like the march, indications that there are Americans, well, actually tens of millions of them, whose politics fall to the left of the fake left Democratic Party and the lockstep center-right corporate media apparatus that props up its rival, the Republican brand. Signs that this left-in-waiting really exists belie the party lines that there's no market for hammer and sickles in the good old U.S. of A. Even during the somnolent 1980s, hundreds of thousands showed up to protest Reagan at demonstrations like Solidarity Day. There were violent, effective, eco-terrorist attacks and anti-globalization WTO protests like the Battle of Seattle in the 1990s. Millions marched against the 2003 invasion of Iraq. This decade was the decade that brought us Occupy Wall Street and Bernie Sanders' surprisingly popular presidential primary challenge. Say that ten times fast. And polls that find that 37% of Americans would simply just get rid of capitalism. You know, that economic system that we're constantly being told is more sacred and popular than Jesus, Mom, and Mochaccinos. These political impulses, oppositions to war and militarism, fighting job exporting, free trade agreements, and suspicion of unfettered capitalism, well, they have no real place in the Democratic or Republican parties. But, to the contrary, war, free trade, and letting businesses run wild are nastily bipartisan. So more than a third of Americans find nothing of interest to buy in the American marketplace of political ideas. There's a vast, untapped pool of potential customers, so to speak. These voters, but but most of them probably haven't bothered to vote ever, because they hate both parties, they represent an inefficiency in the market. Moments like Occupy Wall Street, Bernie, and the Women's March remind us of the existence of this left-in-waiting group. Someday, obviously, somebody will build an organization that attracts America's long-ignored leftists and channels their energies into something powerful enough to achieve power and maybe even smart enough to govern. Until then, the real left will be co-opted by the Democrats, which is pretty much what happened to the Women's March. To be sure, many women's marchers were Hillary Clinton Democrats. The Love Trump's Hate sign 
hand-lettered rather than printed by the DNC, as they were during the fall campaigns, and the big old Hillary buttons evidenced that all. Yet, many more of the demonstrators were Bernie Sanders progressives, socialists and communists, who want to see radical change in society and the economy. And these good leftists, you know, a third of the country, most of the left overall, allowed themselves to basically go unrepresented. A good indication that the Women's March got co-opted into the Democratic boo-hoo Hillary Cory Booker in 2020 pep rally was that the speakers were limited to celebrity millionaire liberal Democrats like Michael Moore, Ashley Judd, and Gloria Steinem. And some of them were even defanged ex-radicals like Angela Davis. Had this been a militant action, you know, one that would actually frighten Trump and the GOP? or even a coalition of liberals who welcome and respected their leftist allies rather than merely wanting to vampirize their righteous anger and energy into midterm votes, the roster of speakers would have included people calling for revolutionary change and action outside of the existing system. There would have been some radical activists that you'd never heard of who actually do some important work. But celebrity celebrity liberalism and please to vote democratic that's where all lefties go to die no wonder the women's march was doomed to join the list of fruitless liberal marches because they're democrats none of the speakers suggested scrapping the whole sick system of systemized poverty industrialized prisons war and slave labor altogether no why would they instead Marchers got a washed-up documentary filmmaker urging them to memorize a phone number that they could use to call Congress because that's going to do a whole hell of a lot of good because they listen, right? Especially these days now that the Republicans are in charge of everything. Yeah, that's going to be helpful. Still, despite all the Democratic bullshit, these huge crowds were glorious. They showed us they were heard they hint at the better country that we could all have. And don't forget the pussy hats. Please, please, please let us not forget the pussy hats. And with that, we've come to the end of our episode. And I thank you for joining me today. I hope you, th- I hope you throw on your pink pussy hat and make sure to reach out to me because I would love to hear from you. You can find me at my website, www.nicole-delacroix.com, or you can reach out to me on Twitter at at Nicole Delacroix. And I'm sorry to say, but that's our time for today. I want to thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio Atlanta, and don't forget to tune in next time. Until then, remember the wise and immortal words of Buckminster Fuller, and quite appropriate for this subject. You can never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Throw on your pink pussy hat, my friends. We'll see you next time, my precious little heathens. We'll see you next time. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.